Hello, welcome to the Capital Employed Podcast. For this episode, I had the pleasure of talking with David Waters from Alluvial Capital Management. In this episode, David talks about his investment process and philosophy. He also dives deep into two microcaps in his fund, one based in America and one in Sweden, which he feels have great long-term potential. Please do make sure to add your email to the Capital Employed email list. We will be publishing some exclusive interviews that will only be available to those on the list. To receive these bonus episodes, please visit capitalemployed.fm forward slash exclusive and add your email to the list. Okay, without further interruption from me, please enjoy my conversation with David. Hi David, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Can you give us some background information on Alluvial? How long has the fund been going and what's the investment philosophy? Happy to. Thanks for having me. So Alluvial Capital Management is a company I launched in 2014. Uh, so we've been going for, I guess, about seven years now. We're a registered investment advisor and we have a, a fund called Alluvial Fund. And we manage in total about $50 million right now. Fund and my practice since the very beginning has always focused on little known, off the run, uh, obscure, obscure uh, securities uh, around the world. And that's what we still do today. And what type of industries and businesses do you invest in? We're really rather agnostic as far as industries go. We've invested along the way in industrials, consumer-focused companies, telecom. Yeah, really about anything, really. The only things we don't honestly do are a lot of biotech or uh, oil and gas exploration, commodities, things of that nature. But other than that, it's all fine with us. How do you find these companies? Is it using a screen or being part of a wider community of investors? A lot of different ways. Uh, We do employ some screens just to generate ideas. But really, I think we find the majority of the stocks and securities we invest in through simple reading. Uh, I just monitor news releases from small companies very, very closely. Uh, I do a lot of the old brute force method where I pull up a list of securities on an exchange and I start with the A's and I read on down until I'm finished, then I start again somewhere else. Uh, I do participate in investor communities. I'm active uh, on Twitter and on forums here and there, but the majority of the ideas we end up investing in are are things I found interesting just by reading and reading, and eventually something interesting falls into my lap. And you mainly focus on North America and Europe. Is that right? Or or do you go outside? Do you go into... um... Uh, South America or Asia as well? We mainly do North America and, and Western Europe. However, we've also invested in uh, Australia and Hong Kong and Eastern Europe as well. And really, uh, as my practice grows and as we have more capital to, to deal with, I, I anticipate looking further afield. There's lots of really fascinating stock exchanges around the world that investors don't give enough attention to and i think there's a lot of potential there and is the fund quite concentrated as well we tend to be what i would call moderately concentrated we we tend to hold about 20 ideas uh that are at least one percent uh of our allocation uh the largest is typically in the low teens and scaling down from there so i do believe in putting capital behind your larger ideas but 
at the same time, it's not the kind of fund that'll have 30, 40, 50% of its assets in one company. We just, we just don't do that. But on the other hand, if we find something we like, we, we put capital behind it. And can you talk us through two of the companies in your portfolio? What, what's the thesis for investing in these companies? Happy to. So the, the first one that I'll mention is, uh, is P10 Holdings. This is our largest holding. Uh, we've had it for a couple of years now, and it's done very, very well. But I continue to believe the company's best days are, are still ahead of it. The, the company has a bit of a complicated history. It, it went through a bankruptcy and ended up selling off its previous business line of business and shedding all those assets. Uh, it was recapitalized by a couple of guys who have become specialists in uh, dealing with so-called NOL shells, uh, businesses that have no assets or business operations, but have a large accumulated tax loss that can shield future income from that. Uh, these guys are C. Clark Webb and Robert Albert. And uh, they've done a fantastic job, not only with P10, but with a few others. But what I liked with P10 is they took P10 and then they went out and they bought um, an alternative asset manager called RCP. They acquired the management fee stream of that manager. Uh, after that, they went out and acquired uh, several other uh, alternative asset managers, whether it be private equity or private credit, and now getting into venture and socially conscious investing. And as, alternative asset management is a great, great business. Uh, it's very, very high margin. The fees are extremely predictable from the funds they have uh, on their platform. Uh, and there's nearly no need for any kind of CapEx. And so virtually all the cash they generate is available for, for debt reduction, for additional acquisitions, for whatever they want to do. So essentially, they've started rolling up a, a set of alternative asset managers, and they'll keep on doing it. They are currently in the process of investigating and uplisting. They trade over the counter uh, right now. But I, I do think that that'll happen uh, likely this year. And, and they produce a ton of cash. Uh, I'd say right now they trade in the low $6 range. And, and that comes out to about uh, a 7% uh, free cash flow yield based on their existing operations. But I think they can do several more acquisitions as they become a larger and larger and more established firm. And each time they do an acquisition, it's highly uh, accretive and beneficial to free cash flow per share. So huge, huge fan of them, love the management, think they can do a lot more and really, really grow. And, and they'll get a lot more exposure and more and more investors will know about them when they've successfully uplisted to, uh, to a national exchange. Uh, the other one I really like, and this is an international one for me, it's uh, called Breadband to Scandinavian. And it trades in Sweden on the first north segment of the Stockholm Exchange, which is sort of the junior segment for smaller companies. This is an internet service provider. It offers high-speed broadband internet access to individuals and, and businesses uh, in Sweden. They don't really own their own infrastructure uh, as far as the fiber or underlying. That's mostly owned by municipalities in Sweden, but they offer their services on these municipal networks and they're a they're low-cost provider. Uh, it's a no-frills service, but they have great speeds, and they're picking up customers uh, just hand over fist. Uh, also, one of the great things about Breadband is they, they have a negative working capital cycle. So whenever they sign up a new customer, they frequently get paid a quarter or a year in advance. 
And so they have the cash on hand before they even have to deliver the service. So historically, the company's free cash flow has greatly exceeded its reported net income. And in fact, the customer payments end up funding the majority of the company's CapEx needs, which are already small. Uh, Additionally, Breadband 2 this last year went out and purchased a large competitor of theirs known as A3. Uh, It really pretty dramatically increased the size of the business. And there's going to be a lot of synergies they can drive as a result of this acquisition based on improved pricing, as these companies will no longer compete on price for the same clients, and um, just duplicating various departments of the business. And they will be a, a larger purchaser for Cisco and, and other uh, internet hardware providers, and they'll get better pricing there. I really do think they have a, a long runway for, for growing this business, and they trade in a very reasonable multiple of what I think earnings can be just a few quarters after they uh, digest this latest acquisition. Management owns a lot of shares, which is something I like to see, and Alluvio has become one of the largest uh, non-management shareholders, uh, especially uh, outside of Europe. I think a lot of American investors should spend more time looking at great businesses uh, wherever they may be because a lot of us don't, and there's great stuff out there. Yeah, so Sweden in particular, I've noticed that it seems to be quite a fertile ground, especially for a lot of small, fast-growing entrepreneurial companies. Very, very true. How are you finding the current environment? Are you still finding interesting companies to invest in, or is it getting a bit more difficult? I really am still having uh, a lot of success finding uh, interesting companies to look at. But I think a lot of the reason for that is is I focus so intently on companies that are just entirely off the radar of very large pools of capital and large investors, not to mention passive investors. Many of the companies that I invest in are have fairly low trade and liquidity by, by the standards of, of large caps or uh, index components. And it can be challenging and to, to get into or get out of, and it takes a lot of patience. And it's just not possible for a billion-dollar pool of capital or, or even larger. And so a lot of the crazy, crazy moves we've seen in uh, the most hyped tech stocks or SPACs or what have you is driven by by retail investors or, or by indexes or by passive investors who, who buy it just because it's out there. And on the other hand, things that are tiny, things that are little known, things that are relatively illiquid have just not received that overwhelming constant bid from, from the market and, and they still remain cheap. Now, that can be a bit frustrating if you buy something and you really like it, but it just sits there and sits there as the market goes up because it doesn't get the attention. But at the end of the day, companies that perform well generate value for their shareholders and and have a a bright future and are not just coasting on their previous accomplishments. Eventually, the share price converges with the value. You just have to be patient. But yes, uh, it knows more in the dusty corners of the market, so to say, I'm still finding a lot of attractive uh, securities. Are you a keen reader at all? And if so, what, what's the recent books that you've read that you've um, found really interesting? Sure. So, you know, I used to read more than I do now. I have a couple young kids and, and they keep me pretty busy. But the one book that I did read not too long ago and really, really enjoy was a book called And the Wolf Finally Came by John Herr. It's a John H-O-E-R-R. 
And it's a study of the steel industry from its inception, from the early, early days in in the 19th century uh, up to the late 20th century, focused on Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh is where I live and obviously has had its ups and downs over the last century with the, the birth and death of the steel industry. And it's so incredible to me reading some of the stories from the early days of the the steel industry when this was cutting edge technology and and in fact uh, some of the steel plants they were producing earlier on earned returns on invested capital of 20 or 30 percent or more Uh, it reminded me a lot of today of some of the younger more innovative companies that have come up with a really really great business model And, and it reminded me that However things look now, they can look very, very different uh, a decade or two down the road once competitors arise, once the uh, power dynamics can shift between employees and suppliers and and customers and everything of that nature. So it really was a great reminder to me that there's really nothing new. Uh, Innovative companies have always existed and some of them succeed, some of them don't. Some of them maintain their competitive advantage for decades and some of them fall victim to nimbler, newer competitors or outside economic forces that they're not ready for. And so uh, just like I think that a a lot of the younger innovative companies today will face um, some headwinds as they mature and grow, it's it's just important to remember that as an investor and not get too excited and think that you found the most tremendous company in, in the world that can grow without interruption forever. And remember that economic forces exist and competition is not thing of the past and and just to be a bit humble as we make our projections because sometimes we never know what the future can hold where can listeners go to find out more information about you and alluvial sure so uh, i think i said i'm fairly active on twitter at uh, alluvial capital as the handle there for several years uh and still occasionally i've written a blog called otc adventures which profiles interesting and unusual small companies, many of them training over the counter. You can check me out there. I don't write as often as I used to, but it's still all my previous stuff is there too. Also, if you're interested in learning more about Alluvial itself, you can go to alluvial.capital or alluvialcapital.com. And Alluvial is A-L-L-U-V-I-A-L. Okay, that's great. Thank you so much, David. It's been a pleasure to listen to you. Thanks so much.